This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. Our second reading of scripture is from Lamentations. I'm not going to read all of it. I'm just going to read the first four verses, 22 through 26. Uh, But you're welcome to follow along uh, in your pew Bible there. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul that seeks him. It is good that one should wait patiently, quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Let's bow for prayer. We thank you, Lord, today again for gathering us here together. We pray that you would speak to our own hearts, our own situations, our own needs, concerns, and lives so that we might truly be your disciples in this world. And so we are grateful for this time together and we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Today's sermon is the second in a series of Advent sermons that Scott and I are doing titled Simply Incarnate. And we are using as a companion to this series a book called Simple Church. Here's the book. Returning God's process to God's process for making disciples. And as Scott mentioned last week, the main message of the book Simple Church is that we as the church and maybe as church leaders have tended to make church life too complicated, maybe sometimes too cluttered. And so we need to get back to the simple church, the primary purpose of the church as Jesus envisioned it. And that is making disciples, not making church members or church attenders, not that there's anything wrong with that, but making disciples, followers of Jesus. Simple church, this book focuses on a strategic process churches can use that helps churches move deeper into their spiritual growth. And there are four parts to this process, this strategic process. Clarity is the first one. Scott talked about that last week. The second one is movement. The third is alignment. And finally, focus. And you don't need to know today what all those mean. um, But that's sort of the the way that we're uh, going with this. And last Sunday, Scott focused on the Advent theme of hope and how we need to have clarity about hope, and especially clarity in the coming of Jesus, what we call the incarnation, Jesus coming at uh, Christmas, his birth. And Scott reminded us that because of Christ's coming, we can be hopeful people, right? Now this morning we are focusing on the second theme of the book, and that is movement. Simple Church defines movement as the sequential steps in the process 
that causes people to move to greater areas of commitment. And the question we want to focus on this second Sunday of Advent is simply this. How do we move towards a greater commitment to love? How does love move? As I've been thinking about love the past couple of weeks, a number of songs have popped into my head. I don't know if you're that way, but I'll hear a word and all of a sudden my, my head is flooded with songs. Uh, and these songs all are from the 60s and 70s and 80s. So that dates me a bit. I know there, there weren't many songs from Adele or from Lady Gaga. Uh, although we saw Lady Gaga the other day on PBS. She was with Tony Bennett. I think she's 35. He's 95. So it's not to say these can't go together. But I don't know about you, but songs often come to me when I'm in the shower. Any of, any of you like that? I think it's really the best place to sing. You can just belt it out and there's no one there to critique you or how well you remember the words or don't. Maybe someone's around critiquing in the next room. But usually no one hears you but the soap and the shampoo. And two songs immediately came, well, three came to my, and I don't know why this happens, but three songs came immediately to my mind as I was thinking about love. All you need is love, sweet love. Love is all you need. And then, for some reason, foreigner popped into my mind. I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. I want to feel what love is. I know you can show me. Do you think I should go on the road? Probably not. Dionne Warwick showed up. What the world needs now, sing it with me, is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that there's just too little of. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. No, not just for some, but for everyone. We actually saw a documentary the other day on Burt Bacharach and Dionne Warwick. Uh, who sang so many great uh, backrack love songs. But, you know, when you think about it, there are so many love songs, aren't there? And it's a reminder that everyone today is looking for, for love, sometimes in the wrong places. Ah, oh, that might be a song, too. <laughs> but, you know, love is such a value for us, and it occurs to me that a major three theme of Advent is love. Both of the scripture readings we read this morning remind us of two things about love. Well, they remind us of a lot of things about love, but two things particularly. First of all, they remind us that what the world really does need today is love. And especially God's love. As I mentioned before, Debbie and I have been reading through the Old Testament. We've finally gotten through Jeremiah. We've been in Lamentations this week, which is one of the reasons I chose Lamentations. We just finished Lamentations on Tuesday. We don't know for sure who wrote Lamentations, but traditionally the book has been attributed to the prophet Jeremiah, who witnessed the violent destruction of Jerusalem and the heart-wrenching exile of the people of Israel by the Babylonians to the conquering Babylonians. And Jeremiah, as he witnessed this 
this struggles with and laments the great loss of this great city. And if you've ever been to Jerusalem, even today, there's something about Jerusalem when you go there. I've been there four times. It just draws you in. It just draws you in. And Jeremiah is thinking about this and he laments about the loss of this great city. And the destruction of it and the heart-wrenching exile. And uh, if you've read any of the Old Testament, you will remember that the prophets all the time warned the people to love only God. But what did they do? So often they didn't do that. They never listened. The fall of, Jerusal uh, fall of Jerusalem to the Babylonians occurred primarily because of the people's disobedience. And therefore, God's judgment fell upon them in the form of exile. But here's the thing. It, and, you, and this really stands out to you when you read these verses. In the midst of this dire situation, Jeremiah is reminded that even in the midst of disappointment and heartache and pain, which he definitely was feeling at that point, God still loves his people. God's love is always near his people. It is never far away. And you keep seeing this theme as you read through the Old Testament. Listen again to what he says in those verses we read a moment ago. He says, but this I call to mind, this I remember, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord, what? It never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Sounds like it ought to be a church hymn, doesn't it? This phrase, steadfast love, is translated unfailing love in the New International Version. And you see it mentioned frequently in the prophets and the Psalms and many other places in the Old Testament. And even though the people sin and are punished for their sin, sometimes severely punished, and they are, because of their idolatry, God, God's purpose for them, his love for them, always remains. It never ends. Debbie and I participated in the Alpha program uh, last spring uh, here at Old South, and we're actually thinking about maybe offering that again this next spring. And one of the segments, uh, in one of the segments, the host of the Alpha series, Nikki Gumbel, made a statement about love, which really stuck with me. He said, God loves you more than a parent loves a child. We are loved more than any parent loves his children. And I've been really thinking about that because I do believe that most parents, including Debbie and me, love our children so much that you'd literally give your life for them. I remember thinking that, especially when our kids were young. We'd literally give our lives for them. Not that we wouldn't give our lives for them as they're older, but, but you know, you're just thinking we'd literally give our lives for them. And it's difficult to think that there could be any greater love than that. And yet the writer of Lamentations reminds us that God's steadfast, his unfailing love for us is greater and deeper than any human love can possibly be. We talk a lot about love in the church, right? Theologically, we believe God loves us. 
And yet I wonder sometimes if many of us at a gut level struggle with really believing that God loves us as the Bible says he does. Really letting that love sink in. We have a difficult reason, uh, time, for whatever reason, believing God could really love us that much. Lloyd Ogilvie, uh, who for 23 years was pastor of Hollywood Presbyterian Church in Hollywood, California, and he was then chaplain of the U.S. Senate, once wrote a book with this title. The title of the book was, Let God Love You. Let God Love You. And I always thought, what a great title for a book. I have to admit, I have not read the book. It's in my library somewhere, packed away, I'm pretty sure. But I've always been intrigued with that title, Let God Love You. And it occurs to me that sometimes we don't really let God love us. We don't really believe that he does. And I've heard people say, God could never love me. They say things like, if God really knew the real me, if God knew what I've done in my life, if God knew who, what I was really like, he could never love me. People at a gut level who feel that somehow they just don't measure up. And I'm sure probably all of us maybe feel that way at times, struggling to accept that. But here is the thing. As the writer of Lamentations grieves over the situation that is unfolding in front of him. He is reminded that God loves his people, even in the midst of their sin. And he is with them. And ultimately, even in their exile to Babylon, has a plan and a purpose for them to give them a future and a hope. And the question I think we need to ask ourselves this morning is, do we know at that deep level that God loves us like a parent loves a child. Jesus coming at Advent reminds us of that truth. But the second thing we learn from these scriptures is simply this. Because God loves us, loves you and me, his steadfast love, his unfailing love, because he loves us that way, it frees us up to love one another. In, verse, uh, in 1 John 4, 19, a verse we didn't read, but I love this verse. John says, we love because he first loved us. As you know, in our English language, we have only one word for love. And we use that word for love in all kinds of ways. We say things like, I love pizza, or I love the voice, or I love Patriots football. I saw an ad in the newspaper that said, live your life, love your bathtub. Put the smile back in your bathing with a premier walk in the tub. I don't know why you'd be walking. Well, I guess you have to walk into the tub. That's why you'd be walking in it. But we also use the same word to say, I love you and want to marry you. We talk about falling in love and being in love. And so the point is, um, we use this one word love in so many ways that basically it has lost a lot of its real meaning for us today. But in the Greek language, the language of the New Testament, the language that John uses, there are several words for love and we won't go into those today. But the word he uses, and probably again a word you're familiar with, is the word agape. 
Agape is the most common used word uh, in the New Testament for love. And we find that in this scripture from 1 John 4. And the thing that makes agape love unique is it's not a selfish kind of love. It's not a self-focused kind of love, but it's an outward-focused kind of love, an unconditional kind of love, an unmerited, sacrificial, forgiving kind of love. It's the kind of love, the scripture tells us, that God has for us and that we are to strive as best we can with the Spirit's help to have for one another. Look again at what John says in 1 John 4, 9 and 10. He says, God's love, God's agape was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. He agaped us and sent his son by sending his son to be the anointing sacrifice for our sins. And this is what we celebrate at Christmas, the coming of Jesus into our world. And then he goes on to say this great verse in verse 11. He says, beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. What I think he is saying here is this, that God's loving us enables us, frees us to love one another. This agape love that John speaks about is not so much a feeling or an emotion, not that there's anything wrong with those, but it's more, he says, an attitude. It is not so much how we feel about someone or something, but it's about what we do, what we do. Unfortunately, we followers of Jesus do not always love one another very well, as you know, and the world notices. I, I, I had a great example of this one time. I was with a group of pastors and we were having breakfast uh, and these pastors were sharing some of the things they'd done in their ministry. And one pastor had sh shared that he'd taken a group to Israel, um, a group of church members and, uh, for, from his congregation. And he wasn't sure if his Israeli tour guide, if, you, if you've been on a tour to Israel, you know that you usually have an Israeli tour guide that's with you. Um, and he wasn't sure if his tour guide was a Christian or not. Uh, sometimes they are. I had a tour guide once um, who was a Christian. But he found out that his particular tour guide, guide on this tour uh, was not a Christian, but, but was Jewish. And the pastor asked him why he was not a Christian. And this tour guide gave him this great this really telling response. And, and this is what he said. He said, he said, I've read the Old Testament and I see the prophecies in the Old Testament point to Jesus as the Messiah. This is a Jewish guy that's talking about this. I see that the prophecies in the Old Testament point, point to Jesus as the Messiah. But, he said, the Christian groups in Israel fight so much with each other. How could he be the Messiah when they fight so much? Those are his exact words. How could he be the Messiah when they fight so much? And he was referring specifically to the priests and the others who take care of the Christian shrines and the churches and the holy places in Israel. And it's true, they do seem to, seem to fight a lot. There's a church in Bethlehem, for instance, that actually has a dividing wall right down the middle aisle. And there's two Christian groups 
that lay claim to this particular church building, but they cannot work together, get together. So part of them worship on this side of the wall, part of them worship on that side of the wall. And they literally had to separate them. And every now and then a fight breaks out among them because each group wants to have the whole thing. And especially happens around Christian, uh, Christmas and holidays. And it's, it's very embarrassing. Jesus said that the world will know we are disciples by what? If we have love for one another. If we have agape love for one another. So John says this is how love moves. First of all, from God to us. That's where it really starts. And then... Secondly, to loving ourselves. You know, there's a place for a healthy self-love, isn't there? Jesus said we are to love our neighbors. How? As we love ourselves. Sometimes we have a difficult time loving ourselves. And then, for, and then third, from loving ourselves in a healthy way to loving others. The incarnation of Jesus, the coming of Jesus that we anticipate during Advent and that we celebrate at Christmas is really about opening up our lives and our hearts to God's steadfast, unfailing love so it can move to us and then in us and then through us to others. Some of you may remember a Christian singer named Evie Carlson. Uh, she went by the name Evie. Anybody remember Evie? I mean, it's been a while. She was from the 70s and 80s. She sings a, a song called Unfailing Love that maybe some, maybe some of you have heard. And it's one of the songs that I've been singing in the shower. Unfailing love flows from his heart and heals my soul. In spite of who I am, he loves and makes me whole. I almost can't believe it's true. Unfailing love. And yet I know he gave his life to give to me unfailing love. And that's what we celebrate at Advent and at Christmas. Let's bow for prayer. Gracious God, we are so grateful for your unfailing love for us. We can't even begin to really comprehend how deep that love is. And we pray, Lord, that during this Advent Christmas season, you will help open our hearts and our lives more to your love. So that you love us, so that we can love you. And we can love others in a world that so desperately needs love, sweet love. And so we ask for this, and we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church, or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.